All right, well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> I'm saying Saturday morning of camp is rough, isn't it? And there always, there's always this question, who stayed up all night? Anybody? That's always like, I, I never sleep. I don't have to sleep. Why are we so afraid of telling people we sleep? Did anybody have your bed when you moved, when you rolled around and say, you have that? That's fun, isn't it? That's good. Hey, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter four again. Ephesians chapter four, and then we're going to flip around a little bit um, throughout the scriptures, but we're going to land mostly in Ephesians four. Genesis three also, so you want to get that ready. All right, well, I'm hoping that you had a, I hope you had a good uh, cabin discussion time last night. He just kind of talked through who God is. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted us to walk out kind of going, I don't know how to talk to that God because he's awesome. And I, I want that part of it. And I want that in my own life. It's like, I don't know how to speak to him. And then to hear him say, no, 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 don't be afraid. See, it's the natural response that we should have when God reveals who he is. It should be fear. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And if there was a fear of God in our nation and in our world, I think, there, I think things would look a little bit different. So fear of the Lord is good, it's helpful. And that when you read the word and when you look up the, what the word means, a lot of times we think, well, it just means to respect. It doesn't, I mean, the word actually means to be terrified of, it's terror. And so it's who God is, he's terrifying. But the invitation is don't be afraid. And so this morning, um, I know we looked at God last night, but this morning is that fun topic of sin. And we're just gonna focus in on that one topic. And so it's like, well, I don't like that topic. No one really does, uh, if we're honest about it. But friends, the topic of sin and our, our depravity before God actually makes the gospel much more impressive. And so maybe you're sitting there going, I don't, I don't have any background in this stuff. Well, hopefully it'll kind of make sense as we get going. But can we pray together? Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for another morning. God, you are the one that by your mercy gives us life and breath. We're awake today because you wanted us alive. And so we thank you for a gift, another gift, another day. But Holy Spirit, on this topic, God, I can't do it without you. Help us to be receptive. Help me to teach well, to do my part, to trust you to do all of it. God, help me to be faithful to your word. God, I pray that this message would be filled with grace and truth. Holy Spirit, convict where necessary. Encourage where necessary. In all things, draw people to Jesus. God, minister to us, help us, confront us, rebuke us, and we'll trust you in the process. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Uh, verse 17 again, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they, speaking of the Gentiles, and this would just be another phrase of saying, okay, those who don't know Christ. 
Now, it's not technically always that, that you have the Jewish people and you have the Gentiles. If you're not 100% Jewish, then you're a Gentile. But he's, he's using this term as those who don't know Christ. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Now, if you have your Bibles and you don't mind marking in it, I know some people go, no, you can't write in the Bible. Guys, it's his word. It's not his face. It's okay. I think you should mark it up. I think you should just, because it helps me engage. And I think God actually likes it. We're just engaged in his word, wanting to hear what he has to say. It's that phrase, the life of God. Friends, that's what we're supposed to be wanting more than anything. But you ever notice how, how quickly we settle and how much we think that we need. You ever notice when the new phone comes out, whichever one you are, iPhone or Droid, whatever you are, that new one, the new one comes out and you're reading all about it on your old one? It's like, I need a new one. And you're reading about it on the one that works? It's like, it's shiny. And have you seen the camera? There's like, there's like 14 lenses on the back now. It's just 14 lenses and it's 2,000 megapixels. It's like, oh, this is the one. And I won't want anything after that. We're so easily entertained, aren't we? It's kind of like this. Have you ever been to a one-year-old birthday party? Has anybody gone to that? And kind of wondered, why, why do we do this for a one-year-old? Because one-year-olds don't have a clue what's going on. Honestly, the birthday party for a one-year-old has nothing to do with the kid. It has everything to do with the parents. And let's be honest, it's mostly for mom. Right, it's mostly for mom, and so you get the kid already, and we had it. I mean, my wife is huge on birthdays. Birthdays and Christmas are almost equal to my wife. But for me, I'm like, well, if we celebrate it, okay. If not, it's okay. So don't you feel bad for my wife? Like, I have to make sure she loves birthdays. Make sure that you love her, and you, and you, take, and you take care of her on that day. But man, one-year-old birthday party was huge. So there's a new outfit for the kid, as if the kid cares. So you put the kid in the new outfit, people come over, they're like, oh my gosh, they have all these gifts. And they're talking to the kid, the kid has no clue why they're there, no clue. There's just a lot of people in this house. And then they're, and he's playing, and, and then all of a sudden it's, it's time for cake. And all of a sudden the kid goes from his new clothes to half naked in a diaper. Just like, boom, and just stick him in front of everyone. Guys, this just sounds like, this sounds horrible. Like as an adult to sit there and go, okay, it's your birthday, you know what we have to do today? I don't wanna do that. I don't want to be half naked in my chonies in front of people eating cake. It just feels weird. But with a one-year-old, we sit there and go, this is great. Like, this is a celebration. So you kids just sitting there half naked, still not knowing why, and actually probably more comfortable to sit there going, yeah, this is good. Guts all hanging out, just loving life. And then they bring the cake, and they've never had it before. But it's almost like they put a bomb down. It's like, here's, and then, oh. Everyone pulls out their camera. Dad, it's like mom and dad are talking. Hey, you're doing video. I'm doing, I'm doing still. Okay, you go, go. And so you got that whole thing going. People are taking pictures because a kid's sitting in front of a cake. Does anyone feel a little bit slighted the older you get? Nobody cares. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting ready to eat. Wait, 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 take a picture. Then no one says what to do. The kid just looks at it and then puts the, like, puts a finger in and people, and then he takes a bite and his eyes are opened to sugar like, huh? And then looks at his parents. Like, why would you keep this from me? I thought you loved me. And then the hand goes in and it's just kind of just sitting there. And then he just bah, puts his face down in it and goes for it. And, and everyone's taking pictures of this. And then it's time to open the gifts. The kid plays with the box more than the toy. Like if it's a wrapping paper, they're like all over the wrapping paper. And nah, I don't care about that. And because they're so easily entertained, they just want the simple. So if I take a can of soup and a $100 bill and place it in front of a kid, like a one-year-old, 
Which one do you think that that one-year-old will go after? You tell me. Soup, Soup can of soup, right? I think 100% of the time. They'll look at the paper and go, well, oh, it's just paper, but this. They start pounding it. They start rolling it, mom, throwing it at dad. They're like, ah, there's all this reaction and they have this experience. But a piece of paper, friends, I'd, I'd push a one-year-old out of the way to get the $100 bill. Like I know the value of the $100 bill. But here's my question to you. How many of you are giving up on the value of life that God actually wants to give you because you'd prefer to have a can of soup? Like you've settled and you actually think that you know better. And I actually think that I know better. How often have I settled on something that I think is great? All the while God is sitting there going, you have no clue what it is that you just gave up so you could play with a can of soup. Isn't it amazing how much we think that we know? We're limited by time. We only know what's happened up to this moment. Can't predict the future. We can't read each other's minds even though we think that we can. You ever had that person have that look at you and you don't know why and they look at you and you're going, oh my gosh, I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You can't, like they can't stand me. And all the while, maybe they were reaching under the seat and they found an old banana. They're like, oh my gosh, what is that? And you're, and you're jumping to a conclusion or have you ever had arguments in your mind with the person that they've never been part of and now you're mad at them because of it? Guys, it's amazing how we think we know everything and God comes along and goes, okay, I'm eternal. I don't live inside of time. I, don't, I exist there, but I'm not bound by it. God has lived out your tomorrow. Every single of one of your tomorrows, he's lived it out. He's not surprised by anything. And then we have the nerve to look at God and declare to him that he's failed or that we deserve more. And hopefully what, I, what we'll see today Guys, we've exchanged this life of God for a can of soup. Since they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The word hardness, it, it means this loss of all power of sensation. It's almost like who's broken a bone? Has anyone broken a bone before? Yeah, be proud. Like this is a war story, right? I don't, yeah, so you've broken a bone and then they have to set it and do you realize that when the bone heals, where they set it, where, they, where, where um, it blends back together, that is actually harder than the bone. And that's the word that's being used here. It's unbelievably hard. The callousness of our hearts. Verse 19, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The word sensuality means unbridled lust, outrageousness or shamelessness. He said, well, I don't know about that. Is that really our culture? Guys, think about it. We watch this on our phones all the time. People become popular. They become celebrities because they'll do the shameful things and we'll scroll and double tap to like it. Guys, I'm not completely anti-social media. I'm just getting closer to it. Guys, I think it can be used for good. But you ever notice how much of your life can be spent scrolling through, looking at other people's fake lives, wishing that you could have their fake life and always comparing your real life to it and thinking you'll never measure up? You ever notice how much of your day can be spent just scrolling through, looking at things? You ever notice how much you go into your pocket? You, you ever have this? Your phone's not even on your person and then your, your pocket vibrates? You ever had that? You're like, what the heck, why, it's like my leg's just doing this by itself. And for some of you, this is your identity and it's all fake. It's almost like you don't even know who you are. 
And guys, this is coming from a person that when I was a pa- well, I've been a pastor for a long time, but I would do those pictures. I'd go to wherever I'm speaking, take a picture from the back because I want to stay humble. And I'd take a picture at an angle with, of the students like behind and got their hands up. It looks like there's 7,000 people and there's like 17. But I don't tell anybody. I just, and then I, I, I would post something like, humbled to be here, hashtag blessed. And then I just wait for people to start double tapping and leaving comments, oh, God's using you, God's using, that's amazing. And, and until I got 100, then I wasn't okay. And so then I feel justified. I'm just getting the word out that people get to know that God's doing great things. All the while, I won't talk to a single person like face to face, but I'm just gonna post about it because that's what we actually think God's called us to do. All the while, Jesus said, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And yet we feel justified. Well, this is the way the world speaks. And what if we change the world? I mean, isn't that what we as followers of Jesus are called to do? One life at a time. Guys, this word for sensuality means I don't care what anyone thinks. I will be as shameless as I want to be and make sure that the world sees it. It's not I want to do things in secret and no one should know. I will make sure I broadcast it to the world no matter what it takes. And that word greedy, it means irresistible desire to have what we have no right to possess. Like, I want this no matter what it costs. I will take advantage of anyone in the room or on the planet to get what I want. That's what that word means. So when you start seeing Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying this is what life apart from Christ looks like, you get to verse 19, they've become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Friends, that is humbling to think this is who we are before Jesus, before we come to Christ. Guys, I know that we, if I say, hey, you're a sinner, I hope you're not offended by that, because I am too. But then Jesus changes our identity, and we're not living as this identity of sinner anymore. We don't have to live there. But guys, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We have to accept it. But we're not sinners because we've sinned. There's sin in the world because we brought it. We're sinful to our core. We're conceived into sin. So in other words, it's hopeless. And when the Bible says there's no, there's no amount of good things that you can do to make yourself right with God, even if you had the most purely motivated thing that you did for somebody else, compared to the holiness and perfection of God, it's like a filthy rag according to the book of Isaiah. So think about it, it's completely hopeless, but how did it all start? So we go back to Genesis chapter three. So if you have Bibles, flip back to there. Begin the first first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter three says this. Now the serpent, verse one, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, stop there. Friends, isn't that what he says today? Did God actually say you can't do that? Did God actually say you're supposed to do that? It's almost like, doesn't God get that the culture's changed and our society's changed and morality can change? And and yet think about it, if if that's really true, if we actually believe this, our culture believes, hey, your truth is your truth, mine is mine, you live your truth, I'll live mine. The only problem with that statement, that's an absolute true statement. When I say there's no such thing as absolute truth, it's all relative, it's just your opinion. When I say this statement, there is no such thing as absolute truth, that is an absolute truth statement that I am placing onto everyone, which means I actually believe that there's absolute truth. 
From the very beginning, that argument breaks down. Now here's the thing, what if we all did whatever we wanted? If everyone on the planet, all eight and a half billion, give or take, people on the planet did whatever they wanted to do, what would the world look like? Chaos, anarchy, death, destruction. Guys, the only reason we don't see it worse is because there's God's grace. God's grace is on the planet. But you leave us to ourselves. Friends, there's nothing good in and and of ourselves. Even Romans chapter three, hey, no one seeks after God. No one, not one. It's like, wow, this is a bummer of a message on a Saturday morning. I know. Like, this is hard stuff. But the Bible doesn't pull punches. But what I want to tell you is that the enemy still says the same thing. Did God actually say, did God really say you can't do that? And do you really think God's going to set these limits on what you should do? Like give you commandments? No one's going to tell me what to do. Here's the thing. The Bible teaches this. You're either a slave to Christ, which is a beautiful thing, or you're a slave to sin. But no one's completely, quote unquote, free outside of knowing Jesus. So you say there, go, I don't, I don't believe in God, so therefore I'm free. No, you're not. You're still in bondage, according to the scriptures. So why does God set up these commandments? It's for our good. Friends, every parent who loves their kids sets limits. I use this example all the time, and so if I've met you before and you've heard this, just pretend like you haven't. But when my boys were, well, when Tyler was first born, he, born, he was my, he's my oldest, when they, when they don't move, there's not really much to it. I mean, you're exhausted because they don't sleep great for a while and a lot of connection with mom. And, and I, then my, my job was tummy time, like just, just sitting in my, my recliner, he's on my chest. It's tummy time. I'm like, I can't get up. Tummy time, being a good dad. I'm just going to sit here for like, I don't know, 12 hours. So that was like, I'm being a good dad. But there's not really much I get to do. There's this connection that he gets to have with mom, but not me. And then baby gets mobile. Friends, I have not been well rested from that day. Like since that day, I have been exhausted. And we just had this conviction, hey, we can baby-proof the house where I, do, I can't even lift up the toilet to go to the bathroom because it's all baby-proofed. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. We're, gonna, we're, we're just gonna teach it. Hey, you don't touch this, you don't do this. So hey, welcome to our house, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna set up rules that you should follow for your good. What is it with a kid when they get mobile and they see an outlet on the wall and they sit there and go, that's what that's for. <laughs> this goes in that. And it doesn't even make sense. Like if you look at an outlet, even a baby's finger doesn't fit in that. But they go, yes, I know it's for this. So I'm just sitting, I remember the first day he did this. He's sitting on his diaper butt and he looks back and he's looking around. He's just playing with his toys and he sees it. And then starts going. I said, Tyler, no, don't touch it. Friends, he sat down and he turned and looked at me. And I looked at him and I was like, there's your sin nature. It's almost like, I respectfully disagree. I'm going to, and then he turns, starts to go for it and reaches out. And I popped out of that chair, smacked his hand, whack, he's like, what? Oh, he's looking around, I'm like, that's Jesus. I said, I didn't say that, but I smacked it. It's like, no, I said, no. So he looks, he's like, oh, and he's getting kind of mad. Now this is my, my son, he's like six, six tall, huge redhead kid, but he's the gentle giant of the family. But this is the one time, it's like, battle's on. You and me, we're gonna go at it, let's see what happens. Cause I'm pretty sure I'm gonna win. You're one, I got this. So he likes, I said, Tyler, don't do it. Mm. And he starts to go again. Whack, did it again. He's like, oh, 
five or six times. I'm like, dude, catch it. I don't like doing this. Your hand's red. It's not supposed to be that color. And he finally stops. Why would I do that? People are like, you're just keeping him from joy. (laughs) I want him to live. Like the whole reason I'd smack his hand and make him know, I don't want you to put your finger anywhere close to that. Why? Because it's for your good. It's for your joy. I'm actually looking out for you. I don't want you to die. And some of you might say, well, he needs to learn. And to that I say, please don't procreate and have children. Like, don't make babies. Like, don't, have, don't be a parent, because if that's your mentality, God's sitting there going, God's like, I don't even do that. And he's a good father. What am I supposed to do? Just go, well, he's got to learn. Here, stick that knife and it'll fit. And then just hold on. Just go for it. Now I'm being a good dad. So isn't it amazing that we look at that and go, well, of course you don't let your kid do that because you want them to live. And here comes God going, I want to set up these commandments that are for your good, but we actually think that he's killing our joy. As if we created joy. Guys, think of all the things we talked about that he created. I mean, the hippo member, hippo, the zebra. Guys, I think there's 126 different uh, muscles in the head of a caterpillar. Who counted? Like, what, whose job was that? That sounds horrible. There's all these things that God created. But we, stop, we don't stop and think that he's the one who created happiness. He's the one who created laughter. Guys, you ever laugh so hard you thought your stomach was gonna, gonna, was gonna explode? It's just like it's hurting, you're like, oh my gosh, okay, stop, 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 stop. It's like an ab workout that you're thankful for. And then have you ever been in mixed company? Ladies, have you ever say like this? Ladies, have you ever say this? Because you're laughing so hard and, and you say, okay, stop, stop, I'm gonna pee my pants. If there are guys listening to that, you need to know that every single one of those men, young men are saying this, challenge accepted. <laughs> Gentlemen, if I'm lying, am I lying? No, if I'm, if I'm telling the truth, just say amen. Amen, okay, so there's six of you and the rest of you are lying because you're, you're really gonna go for it. If I hear somebody say it, I'm gonna, whatever I can, absolutely. Isn't it fun just to laugh? You ever heard somebody who has an incredible laugh? You just want them to keep laughing? You're like, no. You ever heard a baby laugh on YouTube? Like they'll post it and you're just sitting there going, I could watch this forever. And you know where to pray because as you scroll through the comments, someone's like, this kid is ugly. (laughs) You ever seen that? You're like, what is wrong with us? And that person just laughs. It's like you picture angels descending. Oh my gosh, I want to listen to this. This is amazing. And then there's that other person where their laugh sounds like like demons being (laughs) driven out from their body, right? And for those that know you have that laugh, you're like, don't laugh right now because it'd be the perfect object lesson ever. And so when you laugh, it's like (laughs) eardrums burst, blood pours down people's necks. They're like, please stop. Even God's like, I didn't mean to put it like that. I'm so sorry. You ever notice we don't need to laugh in order to live? And yet God gave us the gift of laughter and joy and humor. We don't need taste buds to eat, but aren't you thankful for them? I don't, I don't know if you have them out here, but back home there's a thing called In-N-Out. Man, the burgers there are unbelievable. And there's always cheese on the paper. Man, I'm not gonna lie, there's times I'll suck on that <laughs> to get all the cheese because it's so good. Can you imagine if God's like, ah, you don't need taste buds. But because he loves us and he wants to give us good, 
he gives it to us. The topic or concept of wisdom. God is the one who gave us love. Guys, when you start looking at what it is that God actually made, who are the artists in the room? Who loves art in any form? Come on, put your hands up. Be like charismatic, not Baptist. Okay, okay, we're good. Yeah. Do you realize that God is the creator of it? There is no one more artistic than Jesus. You want proof? He gave you snow. You ever seen a sunset and went, oh my. I would ask for a sunrise, but I'm guessing most of you don't usually see those. But a sunset, you just kind of go, whoa. And don't you just, isn't it weird? We'll take a picture and post it so the world can see what everyone's already looking at. Because we're so blown away, blown away by what a lot of people say, well, that just happened. For those that are artists, you're artists because God's creative. And he created you to be creative. If those, some sitting there go, Brian, I'm not artistic at all. I can't even draw a circle. Lines are hard. <laughs> some of you guys are much more, some of you love the idea of like engineering and putting things together. And here's the thing, I want you to build the bridges that I drive my car across. I could care less if they're painted nicely or if they're artistically done, if they can't hold me up. And so God's like, I'm the ultimate engineer. He crafted the universe. Did God actually say? And the one who owns everything, created everything, did God actually say? And I will tell you this, I'm convinced that we live in a culture now, in the States especially, we are the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the church today. And we have more resources to use to be in the word with God. He said, oh, well, the Bible's boring. You haven't read it. Guys, there are stories in here that people make movies on. There are, there are stories in here that are not, they're not PG. You're like, oh, where are those? <laughs> Guys, it's, and this, it's not just read the Bible to know facts. It's like, I open the Bible because it's the word of God. And as I sit and listen, I want to spend time with him. And he's speaking and he helps me decipher all these thoughts that are going through my head. Guys, I cannot know the will of God if I'm not in the word of God. It does not happen. And I know it's hard. And this is what I would say to you. If you've never had anyone show you how to spend time with Jesus in the word, grab your youth leader and say, would you show me how to spend time with God in the word? It just makes, just makes sure youth leader that you are doing it so you can show it. Did God actually say, and my fear is that a whole lot of people who call themselves followers of Jesus can't answer the question because they don't know what it is that he said. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Isn't it amazing how the enemy is like, did God actually say you can't have any fun? Like you can't have any joy? You can't do anything that's, that's exciting? Like he's gonna take it all away, sit around, read, do nothing. Did God actually say that? Verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the tree, oh, I'm sorry, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God never said if you touch it, you'll die. But I think it's a good rule. I'd probably say that. Verse four, he says, but the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Guys, you know what the temptation was there? You tell me. If you have your Bibles open and you're looking at it, you tell me. We'd be a little more interactive because you're 
One, you're quiet and it's a small group. So you tell me, what is the temptation that he's throwing out there? You can be like God. That's one of them, right? Hey, you could be like God. You could know good and evil. Is anybody else tired of knowing evil? Remember when you were five? I don't know your background. Maybe some of you guys had a horrible childhood. I'm so sorry. You say, well, how can you explain that God is loving you? Guys, that's a, that's, a, that's a conversation I think is best done eye to eye, knee to knee. Guys, when I was five, I just rode my bike. And I just had to be home before it was dark. And I'm running through people's backyards. They didn't even care. We're like hop on the wall. We have these fake guns. We're like chasing nobody, climbing trees. It's like, there's no care in the world. I don't know that anything bad's happening. The temptation was you could be like God. If you're like, I don't want to be like God. Yes, you do, because no one likes to be told what to do. Right? Don't tell me what to do. Has anyone ever had, has anyone, ever had anyone say this to you? Just calm down. Anyone ever had that? And in their head you go, oh, that helped. Yeah, I feel peace, thank you. I'm starting to feel this calm. You ever had, I don't know a whole lot of people when they hear the phrase calm down, they go, thank you, Lord. I received that word from you right now. I think usually what happens is like, oh, no, you didn't. And you start, you start getting ready, it's like, here's, here's the beat down you deserve and you're ready to go. Just calm down. Even that phrase, even though it may be true, and you're losing it. We don't like to be told what to do. Why, because we wanna be our own gods. But what's the second thing? I think there's another one, that's awesome. What was your name? Was it? Liam. Liam, awesome, Liam, thank you. Anybody else see something else that he's trying to get them to think? Maybe it's this, hey, God's holding out on you. Like, you're not gonna die. God knows if you do this, you actually get something good. God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. Not just you get to be like God, he's holding out on what you deserve. So then watch what it is that she does. So when the woman saw that the tree was, here's justification number one, good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes is number two, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of it and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Guys, you notice one and two? We go back to verse, sometimes it's hard as you get older. I think this, the font in my Bible has shrunk. Verse six, the woman saw that the tree was one good for food. Do you realize when you go back to chapter two, verse nine, that's what it is that God says about it? That God actually made food that it would be good for food and that it would be pleasant to the sight? So she's right on the first two, but the third one is where she, she went off. It's to be desired. That word desire means to covet, to lust, to desire strongly. It's like whatever it takes to get it, this is what I want. And it's desired to make one wise. And then she gave some to Adam who's with her. And I'm like, for the longest time, I used to think that Adam was like off, living in a hut like Gilligan on an island. Like I just pictured him over here by himself. He's just standing there. God looks at Adam before Eve shows up and says, I want you to work the ground and keep it. I want you to keep creation. I want you to protect and guard. And the epitome, the top of God's creation is the woman. And he's just standing there going, oh, that's a talking snake. And he's not jumping in. Why doesn't he jump in? I have no clue. But in my opinion, and this is my opinion, this was his rebellion. He did not obey what God said to do. She ate, and then he ate. 
It says that both their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. That's the most awkward realization in the history of the world. You're walking around butt naked and you don't know what naked is because there's no such thing as clothes. You don't need them. Guys, does anyone have to do their own laundry now? Oh, don't you want to go back to Adam and Eve and go, what were you thinking? Because of you, we have laundry. Guys, can you imagine just standing there just going, okay, well, this is weird. Okay, I guess we'll take it. Not knowing that you're naked. It's like, take it back. What the? And you start to cover up. And then they go, we got to fix it. So let's make some clothes. And they grab leaves. Leaves for clothing. Guys, those things dry out. At some point, that's not going to be comfortable. Isn't it amazing what we'll do to cover our shame? No matter how foolish it seems. Guys, sinning in the world. Guys, I think even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can read the paper for about two and a half minutes. Let me change that. You can scroll on your phone or on a tablet or on a computer to read the news for about two and a half minutes and realize things are jacked up. I mean, can you at least admit that? And so we all have opinions of what it is, and I think the scripture just says, hey, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. It's like, no, I have a good heart. Really? Like, no, I do. Okay, go to Mark, Mark chapter 7. It's like, well, I'm gonna, I, I kind of feel a little bit depressed because of this. No, this, it's, I promise it'll be good at some point. Mark chapter 7, look there at verse 21. For from within, I'm sorry, from, for, I'm sorry, for from within, out of the heart of man or out of the heart of people. So on those, those Valentines, like, I just want to, I want to give you my heart. Here's my heart. I want to give you my heart. Did anybody have a parent or a mom or dad that made you give Valentine's to all your friends when you're like fourth grade? Yeah, it's like, here, for all your friends. I'm like, I don't want to give it to my best friend, Brent. Like, that's just weird. Can I just give him the candy? That's all he wants. So it's like, take, here's all the, here's happy Valentine's Day. And some are like, be my Valentine. I'm like, I don't want to be their Valentine. I don't even know what that means. I just want to play kickball. Here's what you're giving someone. You say, I want to give you my heart. Here's my heart. For from without, um, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Here's my heart. Here you go. Here's what I have to offer. This is the best that I have. This is who I am. And do you realize that there's a Jesus that says, I'll take it? Guys, you sit there and go, I'm a good person. Compared to who? Isn't it amazing? So long as I'm better than Hitler. It's like, I ain't no Hitler. I'm, I'm hoping you're not. I mean, even if you're just right next to him, rubbing up shoulders with him, I'm like, nah, I don't think we're going to hang out much. But it's like, oh, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm no, I'm no Hitler. As if that's the standard. The standard is not this. The standard is Jesus. The standard is him, his holiness, his perfection. That's his standard. And we can't measure up ever Friends, we're sinful to the core. Go back to Ephesians, if you don't mind. Before we go back to chapter four, I'm gonna start landing on the plane. Ephesians chapter two this time. Paul's writing to a bunch of Christians in Ephesus. And he says this, remember, he's reminding them, this is what you were like before Jesus. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air. For those who say, I don't want Jesus and I can do whatever I want, the scriptures actually come back and say, no, you're actually following something else. You're following the course of this world. You're following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sense of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, now this is a verse that doesn't usually make it into a greeting card, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And we can sit there and go, but Brian, that's not fair. Guys, fair ended in the garden. Can you imagine if God says, okay, I'll be fair. I'll be fair. You all broke it. You all fix it. That's fair. Guys, we don't want fair, we want grace. He's like, well, I don't think that anyone should be like an object of his wrath. No one should be punished, really? Like no one. I mean, let's just put this scale up here. Guys, I have a hard time with those who oppress others. I have a hard time with those who oppress children and sell them into sex slavery. I have a hard time with them. Should they not be punished? Well, of course they should. See, we expect justice so long as it's not on us. For us, we want mercy, but for those who do really bad things, they deserve the worst. And yet compared to God and his holiness, sin is sin. We've all sinned. We all deserve his wrath. We all deserve his judgment. And then I'm just gonna give you these couple words in verse four, chapter two, but God. And that's when it all changed. That's when it all changes. Here, this is who we are. And like, so I'd stand before this holy God we talked about last night. I'm like, God, I don't know what I can give you. There's nothing in and good in and of myself. I can't give you anything that's good but God, but God. Guys, even in Genesis chapter three, in Genesis chapter three, you see the fall of man and woman. Then God curses the serpent, curses the woman, curses the man. But in chapter three, verse 21, you see God's remedy. What does God do? Anybody remember? He sees them wearing leaves. (laughs) And he says that, and and God made them garments of skin and clothed them. Remember that part? They didn't ask for it, God initiated, that's grace. They didn't even know about garments of skins because they didn't know about clothes. But here's the thing, how do you get skin from an animal? What do you have to do to the animal? You have to kill it, right? Think about it. Something that was innocent had to be killed in order that the sin of others could be covered. In chapter three, God paints the picture. You broke it, and I'll fix it. You broke it, and this is how I'm gonna fix it. Friends, it is absolutely mind-blowing to think, God, I'm sinner in and of myself. I have nothing to offer you. And God says, I know. I'll fix it. Brian, what if I don't want Jesus? Then you will stand before God on your own and have to answer for your life the sin that was never dealt with because you never surrendered to Jesus. Friends, none of us can stand before God and say, but look, what, what, look at what I've done. It's all about him. We're sinners, he's holy, he's perfect. I leave you with, remember what he did that he did for Adam and Eve. I leave, I leave you with two words, but God. But God, when it seems impossible, but God. Even apply that to that impossible situation that you're facing right now, but 
God. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reality of our sin. Thank you that you tell us about it. Thank you that you don't hide from it. Thank you that you bring it to light. Holy Spirit, please continue your work. God, bring it to mind throughout the day and prepare us to hear the good news, to continue to hear the the rest of the gospel message and what it is that you did because we couldn't come to you. God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness in the midst of our sinfulness and depravity. God, for those of us who are followers of you and love you, we say that we love you. God, in what you're going to do, continue to do your work and to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you guys more than you know.